Welcome to another edition of Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today, and every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And Saturday morning at 10 o'clock comes pretty fast for me every week, and it goes pretty fast. But before I know it, uh, the hour is up. But I enjoy spending that hour with you, the listener, and appreciate the questions that I get regularly. And we've got uh, kind of a little hodgepodge of questions I wanted to go over today, had in the last several weeks that uh, we've gotten. And of course, you can always ask your own question. If you've got a question about money, you want to get in the program today, you simply call 877-235-9405. Of course, if you're listing this as a podcast, you can't do this. You have to call at the office at 800-588-7526 and you can get your questions. Or you can always go to our website at uh, talkingmoneyradio.com and you can go in there and uh, click on Ask Mike a Question or send it directly to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And even I have when I have podcast listeners that send their questions, they send them to there. Sometimes they go to the Ronald Blue Trust website and send me a question uh, through that particular medium. But either way, it gets to me, and we'll try to get to your question at some future uh, program. But love to get your questions. Of course, love to have them live when you call in. So it's uh, great to have some interaction. Had some good calls last week. So a few weeks ago, uh, I had I actually replayed a program that I had done back in June with uh, Dan Grover, uh, one of our private wealth advisors, senior private wealth advisors up in the Charlotte uh, Ronald Blue Trust office. And we were talking about uh, raising money smart kids and also had a pretty good segment on how to give money or other items to people that you know are in need, but you don't want to enable them. You want to help them without enabling them. So I got a question from Jim that uh, week about that particular program. And his question is this, and I really want to open this up because I it's it's something that's pretty prevalent. So his question is regarding helping versus enabling, do you take a position on helping the homeless veteran you see on busy intersections? There are a lot of conflicting testimonies and studies out there. So I thought that was interesting uh, question, and, and I responded to him. Uh, I'd love to hear your reply on how you think some of these ought to be handled. Um, but I've, I've got some pretty good experience in this uh, personally and from a family standpoint that I will share. And, I, and I'll preface it by saying it's unfortunate that we have people that are abusing the kindness of people and taking advantage of that. And so that the people who really do need funds uh, are not necessarily getting all that they really need to have uh, at, a, at a point in time that they may be really down uh, and down their luck, as we say, and, and need uh, that kind of boost to help get them through that difficult time. So uh, the first thing you have to answer is, is this really a homeless veteran? Um, because how do you check that out? You see somebody says, I'm a vet and I need money. Well, they're exploiting that. So I, I don't know if how many of you remember, and I, I've had uh, Jimmy Wayne on the program before, and Jimmy Wayne was a country music star who um, started devoting his life to uh, foster care children and children aging out of foster care, uh, the system too soon and so forth. And he, and talking in the, in his book, Walk to Beautiful, and the story that he shares about his mother, uh, his father was out of the picture um, completely for, for, vast majority of his life but his and his mother was in and out of prison and had a lot of issues and and she he talked about how they would be traveling around with his um her mom's 
at that time, I think it was just a boyfriend. It could have been a stepdad. But either way, they would, they would go to rest areas, and she would put a pillow up under her uh, dress so that it looked like she was pregnant so that she could try to get more money. So when you see these people in the street, and there's a lot of them over there. When you first come off of Interstate 385 and you come down to Woodruff Road, it's, it's almost always somebody there on the left-hand side with a sign saying, I'm you know, homeless, I need your money. And, and most of the time they look like it, uh, that, they, that, that they look pretty rough from um, just a care standpoint. Uh, but my wife was there once, and, and as she is often going through that particular intersection, and and saw the people leave that and then go over to the Sam's parking lot and get into their their uh, pretty nice RV. So it's how do you how do you give money like that to somebody not knowing for sure if they need it because you know it makes us feel better. We think oh great you know I I'm helping people I'm I'm helping this poor person. Um, I had a gentleman come up to me at uh, qt on pleasantburg drive back uh, a few months ago just walked up to me while i was pumping gas and asked me for money so i i told him uh, i asked him about the situation so i need cash and he says i said well um i i really give my resources for this kind of thing to miracle hill because they help with you with people in this situation they help people they provide food they provide opportunities to help get jobs they provide a lot of things like that and he told me so oh, no they're not accepting anybody right now this covid thing they're just uh they're keeping they're they're not accepting anybody new and i said well i i beg to differ with you uh i happen to serve on the board at miracle hill <laughs> and i know that's not the case so he walked away pretty quickly he, he wasn't going to have that conversation anymore he'll go to the next easy target and try to to see if he can get them instead. I had another individual back a couple of years ago, uh, several years ago, because it's when uh, Lowe's was over there where uh, Jeff Lynch Appliance is now. And my son and I were walking in and this guy came up and said, hey, you see all those trailers over there out in front in the parking lot? Well, I drive one of those. I got a tractor and my tractor broke down back, uh, you know, half mile, mile down the road. So I need some money to help get it, get it fixed. So I started asking him specifically where it was, and he had a hard time telling me where it was. And it was, well, maybe we'll just go down there and, and check it out. And well, he walked away pretty quickly too, because obviously that's not what he what he wanted. And and my daughter um, that used to live in in Nashville had some firsthand experience with some of this because she worked for the Salvation Army and she headed up the volunteers for the Salvation Army uh, Angel Tree program. And she saw firsthand um, how many people truly needed it, how many people were abusing the system, because you had to go through a qualification process for for them to be able to to get access to and be part of the Angel Tree program. So, which is great, they they make sure your income is a certain way. They make you prove that that you really are needy and so forth. And the, the number of people who aren't truly needy who try to get stuff from there is just unbelievable. Uh, you you just would not realize. And I should have her on the program sometime so she can just talk about the experiences she had there and the and the entitlement attitude that so many of them had there that and you know they would they of course an angel tree program you put in your list of things uh, boys girls and that kind of thing and the people that would complain about what they got and said oh we didn't want that color or we didn't you know we didn't order that particular we ordered a bike we ordered you know and and they're getting all this stuff for free yet they're still feeling 
like they're they're entitled to uh, more and this is something that you just should be giving to me and taking advantage of the good people who are giving their money because realize this is all donations that people are giving to to make sure that these people get what they what they need for a good christmas and these other people are abusing it so uh, bottom line i i think that uh, you ought to support organizations like anything that's providing meals and uh, miracle hill salvation army those kind of places of course i'm partial to miracle hill as i said i'm on the board and i know what kind of work they do but salvation army i know does a good job as well and i think uh, these people are trained to figure out if somebody really is needy or not needy they have ways of going through that so uh, i would encourage you not to get as much as it may hurt you and these people on the side of the road or as much as it may make you feel good about passing them a 20 or a couple of 20s or something to say, okay, yeah, I really helped somebody today. Uh, make sure you're really helping people that need help, not those who are just out there trying to scam the system and, and pull on your heartstrings to help you do that. But I'd like to hear anybody that had any kind of interaction, comments, uh, and maybe you're one that, yes, I always give, and, you know, and it's, I'll do it. And it's not up to me whether or not it's um, a legitimate gift. Uh, that's that they're the ones that have to uh, be accountable for that. And that's, that's, I respect that as well. Um, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Should you give, should you not give to these people? And what are some other ways that you can help uh, the true, the true homeless and the true needy people and love to hear from you. So we'll be back with the second part of talking money in just a couple of minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. You're listening to Mike Miller. This is Talking Money. This is not a sales program. Just as a reminder for those who may be listening for the first time on the radio show or as a podcast, we don't sell any products and don't sell anything at our firm, Ronald Blue Trust. I don't sell anything here on the radio and haven't done that for years. And now coming out to finishing the 14th year of Talking Money, I'm about to start the year number 15 in just a few weeks. Hard to believe it's toward the end of the year, isn't it? It's uh, Christmas time again, although we need a good Christmas this year with all the the stuff that's been going on this year in, in everyone's life we're ready everyone i talk to everyone i talk to says i'm ready for this to get over with and let's get back to normal 
So when that is and how that is and what that new normal looks like, who knows? Um, But anyway, we're here to answer your questions without a hidden agenda. So that's without the sales pitch, without a hidden agenda, like uh, most uh, the other, uh, maybe all the other financial programs, at least on on uh, this station, and most of the other ones are here. They're trying to sell you something. We're not trying to sell you anything. So another question had to come in. I told you today this is kind of a cafeteria approach with different questions I've had over the last few weeks. Last week had a question from Jim who asked about a municipal bond fund. He happened to own uh, this Invesco municipal bond fund. A C T H X is the symbol, and had ten over ten percent in, in Puerto Rican bonds. So he, he mentioned the uh, rate of return down from February to August, 5.7, was wondering about other municipal, bond, uh, other municipal bonds listed. Uh, they're down too, seem to be a similar amount. So he's thinking the pandemic has caused most of this to happen. So I reached out to Nathan Manahan in our uh, national office. He's one of our charter financial analysts on the investment uh, strategy group team. And I and had him look up the fund and because that's what he does instead of me spending my time to do it. I said, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'll just ask Nathan. And I'm going to get Nathan on the air here sometime, hopefully uh, toward the first part of the year, at least uh, from by phone from Atlanta. I've had uh, some other uh, Mark uh, Elam has been on there on with me several times. We'll try to get Nathan on here, too. So he answers the question in Puerto Rican bonds have been a controversial topic for a while as you tend to see them avoided completely by many muni or muni bond managers and used excessively by ones who want to juice their portfolio yield. Obviously, Puerto Rican debt doesn't have the best credit rating, nor I'm sure does a lot of the names in the portfolio. So he's looking at that uh, particular bond fund as the average credit rating is double B. So it is a high-yield muni bond, after all, when there are fewer of those around. But high-yield muni basically means that uh, any kind of high-yield bond fund, whether it's muni or corporate, is one that uh, generally goes down the credit uh, ladder to get those that are lower rating because they have a higher yield. And, of course, their goal is to try to find those that are still solid companies or solid municipalities that are offering those bonds that are not going to default or as Wayne mentioned last week or you get them insured but the insured that just is basically going to get you money back it's not necessarily going to get you your yield so you want to make sure that you you have good quality bonds so then Nathan says uh, we've been asked in the past why we don't specifically allocate to the high yield muni space and the reason why is that you can find yourself with a lot of exposure to an area that could really get into trouble as it's harder to get broad diversification. It's also not very liquid, which means you can see a lot of volatility even absent a default. So uh, liquid just means that the bonds are not very easily tradable. So you have in stocks and in bonds, you can have a very tight liquidity, which means there's not a big market. If you want to get out of those bonds or stocks quickly, there's not a big market to buy those bonds and if there's not a big market to buy those bonds then that's where you have high volatility higher volatility potential in that particular investment because the liquidity is is so so you want to make sure that you have enough yield to offset that liquidity that illiquidity same thing i tell you about annuities i I tell you there's the illiquidity is a risk and it's a it's a cost and so you want to make sure you're actually getting paid more to have that illiquidity. And in reality, I don't think most of the time you are. So then he says, uh, for example, if you compare it uh, to a high quality muni bond, and I won't give the no, uh, name, it's one that we use in our portfolio during March and April, when you saw drawdowns from munis, 
ACTHHX was down 13.55 versus 4.25 for a higher quality mini bond fund, which is A rated. So it's bounced back since then, but it shows how much more volatility you are potentially exposing yourself to for a little more yield. We don't think most muni investors are looking for that kind of ride. That's what Nathan says. Then I asked him more specifically, what about the the downturn of that drawdown back in March, April? Was that due to the pandemic? And he says, uh, yes, the drawdown related both to concerns about solvency and the liquidity crunch that pushed everything down in March, whether or not it actually had elevated default risk. So sometimes it doesn't matter if a particular event raises default risk. It's It's the perception that it might, and that can drive the prices down. So then I asked him about how to compare with other high-yield muni funds, because if you want a high yield, you want to get a good one. And he says, um, how to compare? He says, and I'd say the other, the overall performance is comparable with the index slash peer group, a better long-term than recently. So uh, he would say that this particular fund has done a better job longer term, but has not been as competitive with those other funds in the short term. So if you want to own a high-yield muni fund, it's not that this fund is a bad option in that space. It's just whether or not you want to be in that space to begin with. So that's where you really need to understand what you're buying. So when you look at something like a high-yield muni bond fund, a high-yield corporate bond fund, and you see that the, a particular fund has a higher yield, uh, looks like maybe it has a higher potential return over some given time period, it's easy to look at that and say, well, if it's been doing this well for five years, three years, five years, even 10 years, certainly it's going to keep keep doing better. Well, you can't look at investments that way. Matter of fact, the longer something has had a good run, the more likely you are to have a drawdown on it, and it's not going to do very well. So you want to make sure you're really, really careful about that. I still remember uh, several years ago when Bob Barris was talking, he was talking about being the a moderator at a an investment conference and he had three three or four international bond managers up on the panel and the the this was just after all four of these bond managers have had the best returns of the group and they just were really really outstanding international bond managers for that time period and his first comment to them was now you guys realize the fact that you're sitting on this panel means that you're probably going to have some of the worst performance next year and they all laughed. It's like, okay, they understood what he meant. You know, having a good year, you understand if a mutual fund, they're buying certain stocks and they do really well in a year or two years and those stocks do really well. Well, they've got to be good enough to, to know when to sell what's in their portfolio, take whatever profits, even if it creates some taxable income for the investor to get into something else that's going to be the next thing that helps them do well for the next two or three years. So once you, if you see a return on a portfolio that says, wow, look how well that's done. Let me buy into it. Well, just remember, you're buying into all their investments that are that are up. You're not investing in their downturns unless they are good at selling and, and rebuying. And if they're good at that and you buy into it, well, then you're the one, even if you've only owned it for a week, you're the one that's going to have that capital gains passed on to you, taxable income passed on to you, even though you didn't really earn it yet. You were there. So maybe it'll help you with taxes later. You, it increases your cost basis and that kind of thing. But it's still, it's, it's something that you need to keep in mind. And this time of year, you got to be careful buying into a fund because we've had a, a really good year for a lot of mutual funds. So you got to be careful buying into a fund now 
and and then they have a distribution at year end. So many mutual funds have a distribution in December. Well, you can own that fund if you own it pre-X date, all right? And then they they have that payout, and it's not in an IRA. IRA doesn't matter. But if it's not in an IRA, then you're going to have that capital gain passed on to you, even if you've owned it, like I said, for a day, for a week, for a month, six months. And you may not have earned that return, but you still have to pay the taxes on it. There again, you'll you'll take that amount you pay taxes on it, increase your basis by that. Um, but then the next year, if you sold it, then you'd probably have a loss because you wouldn't have made enough money to offset even the the new tax basis that you have. A lot of confusing things in there, I know, and that's why it's uh, it's important to understand how all this works. And I want to try to help you understand how it works. And that's why we're here on Talking Money. So when we get back from the break, I got a question. I'm not going to mention his name because it's a unique name. Uh, a question about his ESOP, his Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Then we had another question from a listener who was asking about the uh, qualified charitable distribution and and how does this affect and why does, doesn't this affect your adjusted gross income and your tax return and so forth. We'll be back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes after this break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's one 800 5887526. Now back to talking money. And it's about 25 minutes before the hour here on Talking Money. Glad to have you with us. If you've got a question for me, 877-235-9405. Any question about money? That's what we're here for. And we'd love to hear from you. So you can text at that number or you can, of course, uh, give us a call like Wayne from Greenwood has. So let's welcome Wayne back to the to the studio microphone. <laughs> welcome, Wayne. Good to hear from you. Yes, I hate to hog your program, but <laughs> nobody else would call about the beggar situation, which I had to experience last year. So oh, you did? I'll give okay. you my perspective and you can say whatever you will first. Yeah. I used to listen to the libertarian talk show Neil Bortz from WGAC in Augusta, and he is now retired. And he has often repeated that at any time, given time of American history, 8 to 10% of the population will only do the absolute minimum necessary to survive. Okay. And I believe he is correct. Yeah, yeah, that may be low. <laughs> You're right. The percentage may be higher than that, but go ahead. Veterans Day last year, and the temperature was in the 60s probably, I was right up at my house in the front yard working in the yard, and my house is about 80 feet back from the street at least. 
Wow, okay. And this woman in this very nice SUV drives up. And I tried to be courteous to her throughout the whole conversation, but she told me she had a daughter with three kids, and the utilities had been cut off, and she had been driving around for quite some time. She had visited 100 houses, I think she quoted me, and that she had raised $333 necessary to the $400 to have the Commission of Public Works cut the utilities back on. And she wanted 67 more dollars. Right, right. She had it all now, planned out. Now, I, she had a roll of money in her hand, and I saw a $100 bill in that roll of money, among other bills. Now, I do not react well to surprises, and I cannot think quickly, and this was certainly a surprise. I, of course, I did not give her any money, but I thought about it after she was gone. I thought it would have been worth it to have come in the house called the Commission of Public Works to see if they were open since it was Veterans Day. Okay. And if they were, offered to meet her at the office three and a half miles away and put up the $67 just to see if she was telling me the truth. <laughs> right, right. But that if her story changed by even $1, I would walk away and not give her anything. But in the course of the conversation, I said to her, this sure is a nice car you're driving. And... She re- immediately responded to me, oh, this is my granddaughter's. It's not mine. And I thought immediately, it's obvious you have been to class at the Democratic School of Talking Points. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I thought about more about it later, and I thought I should have asked her, if this is a family matter and this is your granddaughter's car, why doesn't she sell this car and get something more simple and less expensive, and use that money to help the family. Right, right. There's a lot of different things you could do. Yeah, yeah. That, that was afterthoughts. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your comments. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's. I think that just reiterates uh, what I said earlier. What and, and use that example with my wife uh, watching the person who was begging for money uh, walk over to the Sam's parking lot and go to this uh, pretty nice SUV uh, RV. I mean, so they weren't homeless. They had an RV, but they were acting like they were homeless and needed the money. Uh, but when you think about the the amount of money they get from people, and it's tax free, so they they can still get government benefits. They can still show a, a very very low, if zero, taxable income. And you're very familiar with this part, uh, Wayne. I know. And then Absolutely. and then and then you um, can get whatever uh, food stamps and all the other stuff that they they allow you to have for uh, being a very very low income but they're really not because they're they're getting money from other people so it's sad that people do take away the resources from those who really true indeed and that's, that's where i come back to you know it, giving to those organizations and i i don't know what you have you have some good organizations down there based in greenwood do you to give uh, funds like that to wayne plenty of organizations yeah yeah so look that up and maybe United if- Center for Community Care. And I asked her why she had I told her about the United Center for Community Care in the city and asked her why she hadn't been there. And she said, you can only go there so often. I think that was another <laughs> another Democratic school of talking point that she had learned. But she she had an ounce for it when I asked that. But yeah. the rest of the story is she went around to all the other houses that I could see from my house and she drove across the street and they are. 
uh, garage is in, you drive in from the back, and she honked the horn. So it was sometime later, I asked the, saw the neighbor over there, and I asked him uh, if she had come over there, told him about what had happened to me on Veterans Day, and he says, she got me, but not at my house. Said, I own another house two miles away, and she caught me up there. And uh-huh. the rest of this story is, I went back out in the front yard just before sunset to pick up something, and she drove back down the street again, and I said, you have been driving around wasting gas now for over two hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And I and I I fear that some people listening would think, "Wow, you guys are just callous to the people who need money." And that's that's definitely not the case. That those who have listened to Talking Money for a length of time know that uh, I I very much support with my with my time, with my airtime on Talking Money, and with my own personal resources uh, helping organizations like Miracle Hill and Calvary Home for Children and those and Homes for Hope and those that, that help the needy people. We certainly want to help, but you want to be smart with how you help. So thanks for those comments, Wayne. Okay, thank you. And I got your, got your email from last night that you talked to your barber. He's a listener as well. And, uh, and your notes about traded options and covered calls and puts and that kind of thing. So that'll be another uh, topic for a, a future talking money. So thanks for your input. Okay. All right, have a great day. Have a great weekend, Wayne. Bye. Okay, another question that came, I mentioned before the break, uh, and this is his initials are GH, so I won't give his name, but he's 61 years old, has an ESOP through his current employer. Uh, He's wondering if it's a good idea to transfer a portion of this to an IRA. He's now eligible to transfer up to 50% of it into uh, an IRA instead of keeping in the company stock. So uh, my first thought is to, yes, you definitely want to take some of that money away, and, and when I look at the funds and i have since spoken with him uh, the amount of money that was in his company stock versus his total portfolio it it was pretty um, concentrated so yes you want to try to get away from the stock just in order to just diversify if nothing else which is a good reminder for me to remind you that if you are working for a company who has company stock that you buy or maybe you're awarded company grants, warrants, options, whatever, be careful that you don't buy, don't hold too much of that. My rule of thumb is no more than 20% of your total portfolio should be in a particular individual company stock. And that's at the high side. I would prefer it even being less than that. Uh, and if you're a business owner, you don't have that that privilege, at least initially, you know, once you start generating some some cash and you're not putting it back into the business, you can start your own retirement plan like I did years ago and start to diversify away by taking profits and putting it into a retirement plan for yourself, which helps to do a couple things. One, it diversifies your holdings away from your business since you're so highly concentrated in your business and relying on that to uh, provide your retirement, eventual retirement. Um, but it just it's one of those things that just helps you to um, diversify away from one particular stock and it helps you tax wise. So the retirement plan is going to help you save some taxes at the same time, help you diversify. So, um, yeah, I had a conversation with, uh, this particular uh, individual and said, yes, I think it's a good idea for you to transfer out and put this into your IRA and to be able to diversify your funds away from just that particular, um, 
company stock. Okay, so we come back from the break. Got a question from Thomas who's asked about the uh, QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution, and how this affects your adjusted gross income. So we'll, uh, we talked about that um, in uh, one of our my November tax planning show with uh, Justin Mead. And we'll, we'll review that as well. And uh, a couple of the comments from some um, listeners that I talked to this week about uh, nervousness about the stock market and also one that has a lot of gains in his, his uh, portfolio and how to best try to um, minimize the taxes in that por- portfolio. So we got several good things for you. Coming to the last segment of Talking Money, we'll be right back. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance and as a fiduciary work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring, or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your estate attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And you can also check us out at ronblue.com forward slash Greenville if you want to see the team that's uh, serving clients here in the upstate. Uh, Love to hear from you. All right, so the question came in uh, from Thomas. He said, listen to your November tax planning show again. Have a few questions. The QCD, the traditional IRA over seven and a half, why doesn't this affect your AGI? Where does the tax preparer enter that amount? So what is the tax benefit for doing this? Obviously, it reduces your IRA, so next year's RMD would be lower. All right, so clarification. Um, the, the required minimum distribution has been canceled for this year, so you don't need to make that. And they postponed the beginning date for making your required minimum distribution from 7.5 to 72. So it delayed when you can, uh, when you have to start taking that money out. They did not change, though, the fact that you could make a qualified charitable distribution from your traditional IRA once you are over 7.5. And I always like to remind listeners that 7.5 is not the year you turn 7.5. Is the day you turn seven and a half. So if you don't turn seven and a half till till um, later in the year, then it's not till later in the year that you can make that particular um, particular uh, distribution from your IRA. You can't do it in January and not turn seven and a half until later in the year. And I assume they have some way of catching that, but that's the way that's the way the rule goes. But you can still do that. So many people, we've had many clients. If we said, yes, go ahead and make a qualified charitable distribution because we think it's the best way to make a contribution when you have an IRA and you're over seven and a half, then I, I can think of no reason why you wouldn't want to go ahead and make that distribution, that contribution to your church, some other charity, ministry from your IRA. 
there's not a downside. So there, there, there's even if it doesn't help you because of your particular tax situation, it may may not help you, but it it can't hurt you. So and especially f- since so many people cannot use the itemized deductions anymore, you can't do a Schedule A because the standard deduction is so high now that you you, you don't give enough money to do that. Well, if you are over seven and a half, then please. Then don't take the distribution from your IRA, then write a check to the church. Contact your custodian and make that distribution directly from the IRA to the church. They'll make the check directly payable to the church, and and then it won't show up on the front of your tax return. So what um, the and, and apparently there was some implication in that show that made him think that we didn't think that the QCD affected your AGI, but it does affect your adjusted gross income because it comes out before that. So when you go, now this is 2019, so I haven't seen 2020's tax return yet. Don't know if they had it even put out yet, but the 2019 tax return, you would put on line A, the entire distribution that you make from an IRA, whatever you use it for. If you use it for a QCD, whatever you use it for, you want to put the total amount because the 1099 you get from the custodian is going to show that full amount. And the IRS needs to see that you're showing that full amount is taxable. And that's on four, line 4A. Four on line 4B, it asks you for the taxable amount. So you would take the amount that, uh, let's give some numbers. So let's say you're going to take out $10,000 and you put 5000 in sent 5000 in directly as a qualified charitable distribution, a QCD. You've sent that directly to the ministries. So what you do then is you put $10,000 in on 4A, put $5,000 on 4B because the other is not taxable, and then right next to it you write the words, the letters, QCD. So the IRS knows that the reason you're showing that full amount is not being taxable is because you made a qualified charitable distribution. So it does affect your AGI. And where that helps is that AGI number is where is the number that's used to determine uh, if you do itemize, uh, where the limitations are on your itemized deductions for things like medical expenses. And it also is the number that's used to determine how much of your Social Security income is taxed. So the lower you can put that number, the better opportunity you have that that maybe less of your Social Security is going to be taxed. And there's Medicare premiums, a lot of things that that are affected by that. So that's why it's so important, I think, if you've got, if you're over 70 and a half and you make contributions to whomever they are, as long as it's a 501c3, it's a, a ministry, your church, um, a some other kind of charity, do it as a qualified charitable distribution. Now, it's a little late in the year to be catching up with that, but it still is something that, that you can do. So we had... Um, some, uh, another actual client that I was talking to this week and I called him up and, um, because he's one of these that we just managed part of his portfolio. We're not his financial planner. We just managed, he wanted us, he's got three, three money managers, three advisors, uh, watching his situation and, uh, you know, people want to get diversified and that's, I understand that, um, but what happens is if you don't have a quarterback, if you don't have someone in there that's looking at your total situation, which in this case, I don't think he does. One of the other uh, advisors is, is supposed to be, I think, his financial planner, but uh, apparently is not looking at the whole picture. And it's hard for them to, uh, in their defense, 
if they don't if they don't get copies of everything in there and they don't get paid for it then what uh, why should they be doing your tax planning but in his case um our part especially we had some good gains this year as many people have and said okay uh, he's a giving person so in your uh, portfolio said you ought to be considering one of a couple things one going ahead and making even potentially prepaying gifts for that you might normally make to your church next year and make them this year take some of those assets and transfer them to the church in kind so that means you have xyz fund that went from you know 10 to 15,000 you want to give 15,000 away to the church for this year maybe even prepay a couple of years and you want to use that gain to pay that contribution well then you simply transfer that stock to the church and you get a deduction for the full 15,000 provided it's long term and that's one of the issues we had uh, in, in his particular case, a lot of the gains are not, some of the gains are long-term, some of them are short-term. You don't want to do it with short-term gains. You want to do it with long-term gains. So for investments that you've held longer than 12 months. And and then you get the full tax deduction for that $15,000 and you didn't pay any taxes on that 5000 Then you take money that you wanted to pay, would have paid in cash to the church and you put it back in the portfolio and rebuy the same things that you just sold just transferred out you didn't sell them you transferred well there's not a 31 day waiting period for that because you're not taking a loss you're taking a gain all right so you're going to transfer those things out and then you can just buy them right back in again because you didn't you didn't sell anything you just transfer the stuff out in kind then your your basis is now assuming you paid fifteen thousand dollars for it your basis now is fifteen thousand where it was ten is now fifteen and you gave your fifteen thousand dollars away to your favorite ministry and favorite church as well at the same time. If you're not sure who you want to give the money to, all right, another easy way would be to transfer those same investments to your, to a donor advised fund. If you don't have a donor advised fund, you can set one up. Probably your custodian has one. You can set one up certainly with the South Carolina Christian Foundation or the National Christian Foundation. And you can look those up and it's very easy to do. And then you get connections from the brokerage account to that and you just transfer them in kind and then same thing happens. So you get your fifteen thousand dollar deduction. It gets fifteen thousand gets put in your donor advised fund. But then you didn't give it away because you didn't want to give it away, or you didn't know who you want to give it to yet. So if you wanted to, to let's say prepay, you want to get five thousand dollars a year to your church for the next three years, but you want to use the gains while you know you have them because you don't know how long the gains will be there. So you put those gains and put them in the donor advised fund. And then once a year, you give $5,000 a year to the church for the next three years. So you don't get a new tax deduction in those years because you already got the tax deduction the first year, but presumably your tax bracket is lower or you at least were able to bypass the tax that you would have paid had you just sold the stocks, paid the tax on the gain and given the cash. That That's not a very tax efficient way to do this. And hopefully your broker, your planner can help you do this if not, you should be finding a different planner or advisor because they certainly should be telling you about this and should be uh, can can certainly help you with that at the same time. So, and then I um, well, let's see, I'm getting getting low on time here. Let me see because I'd like to read to you uh, a a holiday message that uh, Nick Stone Street um, 
Uh, I don't have time for that. We got two minutes. I'm not. It's, it's longer than two minutes to read that. I don't want to rush it. I'll try to get to that next week. Next week, Scott Clark going to join me, head of our Everyday Stewart Division, and he's. We've, we've got a bunch of different ideas. He gave me a laundry list of different things that he's been helping clients with over the last couple of years. He's been heading that division. And there was a lot in there that uh, we'll be able to share with you next week. Uh, my last comment this week: I did speak with another client. It happens to be also my brother who lives out of state. Doesn't listen to the program, but he was nervous nervous about the stock market so he's he was pretty aggressive 80 percent in growth and 20 percent fixed income had a, had a very good year and uh like i said like a lot of people have uh, no surprises there if you were in stocks of some kind you should have had a pretty good year and um so he wanted to back off on that he really wanted to go 100 percent cash he's just let's i just i'm nervous about this and he was more nervous than i thought he would be so after i spent some time talking to him and trying to to look convince him that uh, this was not a short-term decision this is a long-term decision and the the, he's going to need probably a little of that money with the other income he has coming into his portfolio to his um, checking account each month from retirement plan social security eventually and that kind of thing that uh, he didn't need to worry about that 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 money was really a you know 10 15 20 year money yeah it could go down but if you start playing that game unfortunately too many times I see people who get out of the market completely and then, and then they want to get back in or say they'll get back in when it goes down. But then when it goes down, they're still nervous about it going down more and they end up not doing anything at all, which, which uh, is really worse. So talked to him into not, uh, we backed off a little bit and made a little more conservative portfolio, but certainly didn't get out of it completely. I think you have to be real careful making those kind of moves uh, and trying to, to play that game. That's what we're here for on Talking Money. you got a question for me, 800-588-7526 is the number at the office. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is the email. Glad to have you with us today. We'll be back next week with the next Talking Money. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal amount invested.